Let's pray together as we approach God's word. Lord, we thank you this morning, Lord, that we can come knowing that you desire deeply to communicate with your people. We thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that now as we sit underneath it, Lord, and try to listen to what these verses say and what they mean, that you would speak clearly to us. Lord, for those of us who are here who need to be comforted, Lord, we pray that you would comfort us. Lord, for those of us who need to be stirred into action, Lord, stir us up, Lord, stir up our spirits, that we would walk closely with you. Come and meet with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage this morning will be Psalm 42 and 43. It's a relatively long section, which is probably why at some point it was split into two psalms. It's originally believed to have been one psalm, but we're going to try to find our way through all three of them. The psalm opens with some familiar words, as the deer pants for the water. We've all sung that song probably a number of times. And the first time I remember coming across this psalm, you you, you think that these words, they're, they're going to be on a psalm which is like right at a hilltop moment, full of praise and worship for God. But what we find is, is that these words, which are great words of worship, are actually the introduction to a psalm of lament. We start here the second book of the Psalms, and the second book of the Psalms we have various laments and distresses poured out towards God. We come to a a psalm which is the first collection of the sons of Korah, and they have such great worship hits which have been on the top of the Christian worship charts for the last 3,000 years as, as the deer pants for the water. How lovely is your dwelling place? Remember seeing that? Better is one, one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. All my fountains are in you. you know, you've heard some of these worship songs. These are all sons of Korah. So as I said earlier, this is originally believed to have been one psalm. And what you will find is, as we go through this psalm, is there is an interplay of dialogues. And there are three questions which are raised. It's kind of like three sections. Two of them in Psalm 42 and one of them in 43. In each section we have a lament and a crying out to God. And then this is wrapped up with kind of a chorus. So it's almost like verse and chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Three questions are raised. God, why are you absent? God, why have you forgotten me? God, why have you rejected me? Have you ever come to church sometimes and you're hurting in your heart and the songs are a little bit too joyful and the sermon's a little bit too smiley and you're hurting and you're just thinking, I can't listen to this, it's too difficult. I'm going through some real pain here. Well, today, this is the type of sermon that you need to listen to. In our walk of faith, we have periods of sadness, lament, and distress, and we don't pretend that all is well. There are real times in your walk of faith when you will be walking through the valley and it will be difficult. There are many times when you will sit in the pews and beyond the high I'm fine, there is a silent hurting behind the mask that we all wear. These words have been used for approximately 3,000 years to comfort and help the people of God. So let's jump into our passage. Section 1. 
I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open with you uh, so that you can follow through the verses. We'll be going kind of verse by verse and section by section. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. The illustration here is provided by the psalmist as a deer pants for flowing streams. Maybe it was an illustration which meant a lot at that time. However, I've never seen a deer panting for water and I don't really know what it's like. I would like you to think instead of deep, deep thirst. Have you ever run a long distance or just been for a long time without a source of water? A deep, deep thirst. This is what it's like when our souls long after God. The psalmist expresses here a deep desire from a position though of not feeling close to God but from feeling distant and far away from him. Why does the deer pant for the water? The Presbyterian hymnal has it like this. As, a, as pants the heart for cooling streams when heated in the chase. So the idea here that they've taken as they've interpreted the psalm as the hymnal writer has been taking this uh, psalm and turning it into a hymn. It's the idea that the, the deer was panting for water after having been chased. Thirst after being pursued. Another idea that is also brought forth by some other commentators is the idea of the heart, which the deer, which wants to plunge itself into the flowing streams so that it can eradicate its scent from being pursued by predators. Now, these are nice ideas. However, I think what's actually here is this deep desire and longing after God in the midst of feeling that God is so far away. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As, as nice as these ideas are of being in chase or the water being used to scent and camouflage the deer, the idea here in verse 2 is that the thirst is after God himself. The idea of the water being really satisfying, an all-consuming thirst. Have you ever been that thirsty? I remember once my dad telling me that in India when he, he would go to church, the church that he went into, they would have a jug at the front for the preacher and it was filled with orange juice. And it was really hot in the church, you know. And as the preacher was preaching and everyone in the church is becoming thirsty. And they slowly stopped listening to the sermon. They're all just watching the orange juice jug. And he said, you know, that the, the, the minister would like, he'd be preaching and then every now and then he'd just lift up and just do a sip and the people in the congregation can almost, they can almost taste it. And my dad used to say that occasionally the, the, the man would be preaching and everyone's like watching the orange juice. Come. And occasionally he'd raise the glass almost to his lips and everyone's about to be satisfied and he'd put it down again. Be like, a, oh, this is the kind of thirst we're talking after. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and be before God? He longs to be before God. Now the next verse that we come to is, I think it's very, very important in this first section. Because if we miss this verse, we could misinterpret this stanza of the psalm. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Just imagine if this verse wasn't in this section how would it read 
My, 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 uh, as the deer pants for streams of, flow, uh, of flowing streams, so pants my soul after you. My soul thirsts after God, for the living God. When shall I come before you? And then imagine it skips this verse and jumps. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession. That could almost sound like a happy thing, right? If you just didn't have this one verse. This verse is very important. So his thirst and his desire from God is flowing from a place where he feels tears and sadness and lament. Tears have been my food all the day long, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Imagine if tears are your food. Imagine if your only sustenance and nourishment is sadness. How can you, from that, produce any happiness? It's like a negative feedback loop. And the problem is, is whilst he's having this sadness all day long, there is some stinging truth to the words which are brought to him by the people that are talking to him. Where is your God? They sound rather true, don't they? Enemies are not specifically mentioned here. Maybe this was just people around him saying, where is your God? But there is a, it's sad, isn't it, that these words somehow seem to sting with some truth. Where is your God? He's saying, Lord, I long after you, I long after you, but tears have been my food. And all that people are saying around me is, where is your God? We move on to the next section. The section that I've kind of titled, it's got tear-filled nostalgia. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. So this isn't a pouring out the soul of joy. This is a pouring out of the soul of sadness and lament when tears have been all that I've been able to have as my nourishment. How I would go with the throng and lead them in processions to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude-keeping festival. He was a worship leader. He might have been the person on the guitar. Leading the throng as they went in procession to the house of God. Imagine all the multitudes having festivals. However, during the times of God's absence, that joy is almost crushing crushing joyful memories of enjoying God. Now I would like us to take note of this. This sounds like kind of a downer for such a sunny day, doesn't it? But I would like us to note that we should not jump too quickly to what the antidote is. We need to savor the sadness from time to time because when the sadness does come, you need to realize that this is part and package of our Christian life at times. There are times when we can sit in church and we can feel there is nothing for me here because I'm hurting. We don't live on the mountain chops of experience of joy in God. There are plenty of times that we live in the valley where our remembrance, even the remembrance of joy in God, is something painful and sad. However, note too that here, All his laments are addressed to God. The distance that he feels from God does not stop him from being able to pour out his laments to God. It does not seem that his distance from God is necessarily caused by sin either. It doesn't seem to be the case when you read the passage in this section. 
So notwithstanding the absence of God, his lament is to God. Now we come to the first of the refrains. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Notice here that the audience has changed. He's no longer talking to God. He's actually talking to himself. And there are many times when it is appropriate and correct to address yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in one of his sermons from the series uh, on spiritual depression, addressed this far more eloquently than I could. Hear from the doctor. The main trouble with this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment when you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been repressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have but very little experience. I'm glad that the the doctor said that, not me. If you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, you have little experience. Let me continue with a bit more. He's, He's great. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business do you have to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself and say to yourself, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed and unhappy way. And, when you must go on to re- and, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, what God has done and what God has pledged to himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy other people, defy the devil and the whole world and say to this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is also the health of my countenance and my God. I would highly recommend you, if you have never discovered Martin Lloyd-Jones, to to, to dive in. There's some excellent preaching by him and I would strongly recommend to you as well there's a book where they basically compile a whole bunch of his sermons which he was talking about spiritual depression they uh, combine that into a book it's uh, released under Banner of Truth you can talk to me afterwards if you're interested now how do you find the right balance of self-talk because to me sometimes this idea of talking to yourself and preaching to yourself can almost sound a little bit new agey and a little bit self-helpy okay you know, have you heard these kind of things? You know, you need to start your day off with some positive confessions. However, we do see that it's used in Scripture. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What's that? That's you talking to your soul. 
Praise my soul, the King of Heaven, one of the hymns that I love to sing here. And here, why are you cast down, O my soul? Now when I approached this passage, I approached it slightly as an engineer. What you will notice is that he spends about three or four times as much time pouring out his heart before God and his lament, before he comes to preaching to himself. And whilst the joy that he had was crushing in his times of sadness, it may have been very much the recollection of his times of closeness with God, which brought him to the place where he was able to preach to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. Note too that, the quest, that what happens is, is the question, why are you cast down, why are you at turmoil? It's following his lament to God. It is not starting with that. It's not like he's coming and he's saying, why are you at turmoil within my soul? Uh, uh, oh, my soul. Uh, sorry, why are you cast down? Why are you at turmoil? And then the next section is the answer. Having heard why he is cast down, the questions take on a rhetorical form. So when he's saying, why are you cast down? He's not looking for the answer. The idea is that you need not be cast down, my soul. Why are you at turmoil? You needn't stay that way. And even in the depth, God is not completely absent. God is still the one who has ears to hear the laments of our hearts. And there is indeed hope. There is coming a time when indeed I shall praise him again. I shall. There is a certainty there. I shall praise him again. Even from this place of abandonment, the psalmist call, uh, can call God, perhaps by faith alone, which would be very fitting for the walk of faith, and call him my salvation and my God. Let's move on to section two. You might think that after having the first exhortation to himself, having preached to himself, he's done. This is the end of the psalm. And that is enough to pacify the psalmist's soul. But he continues... My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and, from Her and of Hermon, from Mount Mirza. His soul is cast down, the opposite of what we see in other places in the Psalms, where the Psalm's soul is lifted up and exalted. Here it is cast down. The idea of something which is thrown down. And the same psalmist who was able to preach to himself just in the previous verse seems to relapse. He took himself in hand. He preached to himself. And yet the situation didn't magically change just because he f followed that formula. He comes before God again. And it is again before God, before whom he pours out his lament. His problem here is that his soul is cast down as he remembers God from this faraway place, geographically located, north of the Sea of Galilee at the source of the Jordan River, geographically far away from the sanctuary of God. This geographical distance is there to illustrate the ache of distance he feels and lack of proximity he feels to God himself. This Mount Mirza which is talked about here is not really understood what exactly it's talking about. However, it's believed that Mount Mirza was just a small hill so it's, the, it's possibly this contrast of I'm here on this small hill and there used to be a time when I was on the big hill, when I was in the sanctuary of God. 
I'm so far away. My soul is cast down. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Deep calls to deep. What is it talking about here? Often the sign of water and floods and breakers are a sign in scripture of God's judgment. We obviously have the example of the flood in the the book of Genesis. We also have some other examples in the book of Psalms. Actually, Psalm 88, which was also written by the sons of Korah. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. When the psalmist laments the fact that he's been abandoned and deserted by all of his friends and his closest friend is the darkness. Psalm 32 talks about the godly who are untouched by the rush of great waters. And actually we have in the book of Jonah where Jonah went to the bottom of the ocean, it seems to be that he's actually quoting Psalm 42. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. What's the idea here? Breakers and waves and the roar of water. The sound of, this seems to be the sound of judgment. Now it's not paired here with the fact that he's saying that he's sinned, which we have in other Psalms. But the idea here, I think, is the fact that there's this overwhelming sense of depth of his anguish. Deep calls to deep. There is depth upon depth of anguish. An overwhelming flood engulfing the psalmist. And yet, even here, from the deep of the deeps, even here he acknowledges the sovereignty of God. For these are the waters of God's command. By day, the the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. What's happening here? Suddenly it seems to be like a positive verse. He's gone from being completely engulfed at the bottom of the ocean, it seems, to by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. What is happening? It seems here that even here in the midst of the darkness, he's able to recall times of God's goodness to him. The tense here of the verbs, commenters have pointed out that it is future tense, The Lord will command his steadfast love. At night his song will be with me. He is the God of my life. So even here, strange as it seems, as he stays in the midst of this overwhelming flood, there is this kind of juxtaposer that he's having encouragement and and the sadness and the difficulty and the encouragement. And what you will find is as you are a Christian for some time is, is that it's, you don't deal with the difficulty and you're done with it. It's the difficulty stays there and then you have some encouragement and then the difficulty is still there and you still have to walk with God and you still have to trust in Him and then you're cast down and then God raises up your eyes again. And it's not like, okay, you just preach to yourself, done with that, I'm having a great day in the power of God. No. My, my brother used to say, when he, when he used to preach, he used to say, you know, the Christian walk isn't like a decision of a moment, it's the discipline of a lifetime. You don't just be done with it. It's quite realistic though, isn't it? So the challenge of those who profess by faith, God, you are my rock, you command your steadfast love, you are my song, you are the God of my life. 
And yet, what is the experience of the psalmist here? I say to, the, to God, my rock, why have, you, why have you forgotten me? Why am I oppressed? Why am I mourning? Now, I think it's good here to pause because there are times when we have difficult times in our life and the wrongness that we feel in them is right. Let me explain. When you go to a funeral, as some of us have attended this week, there is a real sense that there is something deeply wrong about this. That's what makes it so difficult to deal with, isn't it? There's something fundamentally wrong. It's what sometimes I would refer to. It's, it's almost like we have, we have like a pre-fall, slight pre-fall instinct. We know that death was never supposed to be part of the equation. And it is the same with suffering. We know that fundamentally, in a perfect world, those who have God as their rock, they are never supposed to have to call out to God, why have you forgotten me? There is a rightness in the sense that this all feels so wrong. It is wrong for the righteous to be oppressed, for those who trust in God to be oppressed. Verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Furthermore, from feeling that God has forgotten me, now he feels like he's got wounds deep in his bones and his adversaries, they taunt him, repeating the words that were in the first stanza, where is your God? I don't know what the intent was in the first part, but here it's really to jeer at him and to taunt him. Where is your God? Have you ever felt pain deep in your bones? When I would visit England, it's very humid there, so it would be like minus 20 here, and we'd go back to England, it would only be like zero, but it would feel colder, because you feel the, bo- the cold in your bones, because it's so humid. Pain in your bones, like right at the core of your being. He said, I went around with like deadly wounds in my bones, because my adversaries taunted me. Where is your God? It's cold comfort sometimes when the problems which are raised by the first stanza and he preaches to himself, he comes around again and he says, God, you've forgotten me. Because they still ring some truth. Where is your God when they taunt him? Despite the fact that he was able to preach himself, there is still pain. Have you had times in your walk of faith where you are fighting to keep your eyes on God? And you have moments of respite and you're reminded once again of the things of God. But it has seemed that the more you have pursued God and his comfort, the deeper and harder it gets. You hear, yourself, you hear about not listening to yourself and you cast your laments on God. You speak to yourself and yet after all of this, the darkness does not lift. My soul is cast down within me. There is still hope. Even in this second stanza, from the deepest depths, God is still and remains the one before whom the lament is poured. See indirectly that even here in the depths, faith is exhibited as the audience of this lament is God himself. And even in the depths, God remains the God of my life. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. The refrain is very similar to the previous one, and actually in modern English translations, it seems to be identical words. However, when you go to the original language, and if you go to older translations, they actually translated these words slightly differently. In verse 5, it's translated for, again, I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. That's what you hear. But it's more literally, I shall praise him for the help of his countenance. Perhaps recalling to you the words from number, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. Here the words are slightly different. He is my salvation, but the word here is, he is the health of my countenance. He is the health of my face. There is a nuance and a difference in meaning here. So together, if we look at the first and the second, he is my salvation. He is my salvation. Is His face is shining on me. And in the second time we come here, he is my salvation is reflected in my raised and radiant face. He is the health and the lifter of my head. Quite a testimony from the psalmist. And quite a thing to preach to himself. God is, even in the depths, he is the one who can raise our heads. He is the one who his glory can be reflected in our faces. Now we come to the third section, Psalm 43. Psalm 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. The difficulty that the psalmist has this third time as he approaches God is he calls on God, God, vindicate me, clear me of blame. I have been the one who has been branded as the one that God has abandoned. Come and take my side publicly, Lord, deliver me. Clear me from blame. Demonstrate, Lord, that I have trusted in you rightly. Again, we have in verse 2, as we move on, that juxtapose, that difficulty. Read the words. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Lord, if you are my refuge, why are you rejecting me? Feel the pain. Imagine when sometimes you might say to someone who is close to you, I have relied on you and you have let me down. The idea of rejection here is not just that someone has not heard you, like where is your God, have you forgotten me, I've passed out of your mind. Here the idea is is that God has heard your call for help and he has ignored it. Lord, you are my refuge. Why are you not my refuge? That's actually kind of the question that is raised here. Feel the pain. Again, feel the wrongness. There is a sense in which if you take your refuge in God, you should never have to raise these words, Lord, why have you rejected me? Similar to words in Psalm 88, which are also by the sons of Korah. Lord, why do you reject me and hide your face from me? Now we see that the psalmist, he kind of shifts gear as we go here. I'm not entirely sure if he's talking to God now, 
or he's talking to himself. It seems to be more that he's talking to God. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. He breaks through this despondency and he calls out to God. Send out your light and your truth. Lord, I have been struggling in this darkness far, far away from me. Lord, I've been struggling with this truth of who you are. You are my God. You are my refuge. You are my salvation. You are my rock. But my experience, Lord, has been of one of abandonment. That you've forgotten me. That you have rejected me. Lord, send out your truth. The fullness of your truth, Lord. Let me apprehend it by faith. Let me understand. Let me experience your truth, Lord. Just as light will shed light on everything and break through this darkness. His request now is to be brought close to God once again. Lord, bring me to your sanctuary, to your holy hill. Let me once again be where you are. Be close to you. And we see here as he moves on that he treasures God above being removed from the suffering. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. There's a link here to the first two senses where we see that God's absence was the thing that was uh, evident. And what he asked for is God to reverse that. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise him with the lyre, O God, my God. This was a section where I was saying it's not clear whether he's talking to himself or to to God. He's anticipating by faith. Then I will go to the altar of God after God has sent his light and his truth. To God my exceeding joy and I will praise him with the lyre. O God, my God. What does he rejoice with? It's not necessarily that he's freed from the depths. But is that he's able to go to the altar of God. Repeats God four times. I'll go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. Oh God my God. And what you will find actually strangely enough. Is as you look through this psalm. Even as it's one of lament. God is the one. Who is called out to. Actually put the words. I, I don't use powerpoint. I'm a bit old fashioned for that. but Generally. But I put all the words of the psalm into a, a word cloud. You know what a word cloud is? You can imagine it. It's like wait. It increases the size of the word depending on how frequently it comes up. And when you put in the words of Psalm 42 and 43, not strict kind of a hermeneutical process, but God's, God's name is the, God's name is the, is the, is the largest word on the, on, on the page. Even in the depths, God is the one who is called out to. God, my exceeding joy. Hear the voice of one who treasures God above all things. This isn't the love for just peace and quiet for its own sake. And sure, we do wish for rest sometimes and we want to be out of the trouble. But here, see what the psalmist is really pursuing after. He wants God himself. Lord, deliver me and bring me to peace that I may enjoy you. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. O Lord, you are the health of my countenance and my God. God will bring you through. Imagine, hear the words, another psalm, by the sons of Korah. God did bring them through, and they were able to write words like this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And listen to this. For someone who has been through the depths. 
Blessed are those whose strength is in you. They go from strength to strength till, they, till each appear before God in Zion. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Listen to this. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. And listen to this other verse. Again, from the same authors of the people that, lived, that dwelled in the depths. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now where does this all bring us? As we draw this message to conclusion, where does this bring us as New Testament believers? R.C. Sproul, in his um, treatment of the uh, chapter 6 of Isaiah, the holiness of God, he mentioned something that repetition was a form that was used with the ancient Hebrews as a way of bringing emphasis. And he made a point in his, his point was also uh, obviously uh, related to the fact that the angels call God holy, 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 repeated three times. And his point is, is that when something is repeated three times in the Hebrew way of thinking, this was a way of elevating something to the superlative degree. So what does that mean? Or what's one way of then using that idea when we come to this passage? is that this passage is superlatively deep in suffering. But in addition to that, we are superlatively called to, to preach to ourselves, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? We have hope in the silence, knowing that the unimaginable horror of real silence from God has been born by God himself. We suffer, but we are not without hope. Let us remember once again Christ our Saviour, who himself was taunted by the absence of God. Where is your God, came the words from the first stanza. And what was he taunted at on the cross? He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. He was the one who was wounded in soul, deeply to the bone, as he was taunted about God's absence. Let us remember once again so that we will not grow weary in our pursuit of God. Michael Card has, some, uh, has a whole album which is about suffering and feeling distance from God. And he has a song which the title is The Silence of God. I want to read you a little section of this as we draw to conclusion. See Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, as silent as a stone, and all his friends are sleeping. And he's weeping all alone. And the man of all sorrows, he never forgot what sorrow is carried by the hearts that he bought. So when the question dissolves into the silence of God, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not. We have a Savior who understands the aching of our hearts, for his heart was only the one that was truly broken. When he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our hearts may experience real ache, and it is real, at the seeming absence and rejection from God. The aching may remain, but the breaking does not. Have hope that we have a Savior who has been vindicated. So like in that third stanza, vindicate me, O God. 
we have the one and only true righteous one who has triumphed over his enemies. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We have hope knowing that even in the depth of despair pointed to in this psalm is something that our Savior knows. He knows it more deeply than we shall ever know and he can sustain us through it. So continue to preach to yourself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you knowing that you don't pretend, Lord, that life is easy at times. Lord, I pray for those who are here who are struggling in the depth of sorrow and difficulty and pain, Lord, anguish of soul. Firstly, Lord, help them to pour out their laments to you, knowing that even in the overwhelming depth of sorrow and sadness and the seeming, your seeming absence, Lord, we can call out to you. Secondly, Lord, give them strength to be able to preach to themselves regularly, frequently, even when the darkness seems to reappear, that they would hope in you, for we shall again praise you. Lord, I pray for those of us here who are not in the depths of sorrow. Help, help us, Lord, to be prepared to get into the practice of preaching to ourselves, Lord, that we would be spurred to action and love and trust and faith in you. And for all of us here, Lord, we pray that you would turn our eyes once again to our Saviour, who has gone to the depth, Lord, a depth that we shall never understand the bottom of, who has been forsaken for our sakes and who will never leave us or forsake us. We pray that you would comfort our souls and speak to us, we pray. Nourish our spirits, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the benediction from Thessalonians chapter 2. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen.